Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Alrighty. Starting chapter 20. How fun is that? So we're only a week late, but uh, we get to Easter now, finally. So John's clear in giving the, the... stage directions he fills in a lot of blanks but then at other points he he leaves leaves it open so it's it's kind of interesting but he identifies the first day of the week so the saturday in the jewish cycle is the last day of the week so sunday is the first day of the week so this is easter sunday duh right so that works out really well still dark but they had to go back to make the final preparations for the body. Now remember how I described last week in the tomb, they had the, the bench off the side where the body was prepared, and then you would stick it in the, in the, in the, the indentation in the wall. So Jesus was still on, on the bench, and that's where they were expecting to, to find him. But as they arrived, they find that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And that's all John says about that. Now other gospel writers tell us what happened. Remember what, what happened? How did the stone get rolled away? Angel. angel, right. So there's, there's an angel, and it's actually rolled away. This is in Matthew's Gospel. It's rolled away. The angel is sitting on top of the stone, and the two Roman guards that were placed there are sitting off to the side, just going, white as ghost, and can't speak. And so they look at them and say, well, that's interesting. And, and, and so they, they really don't know what to do at this point. So they see that much become panicked and run back to the disciples so Simon and John in, in, in particular and simply say verse 2 they, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him now this is a fairly non-specific they we don't know who they are who does she mean by this so it's, it's just all so vague at this point so Peter and John have a running uh, battle to get to the tomb first uh, both were running, verse, verse 3, but the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So John bends over, looks at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Impetuous Peter just goes plowing right past and goes running in. And then John eventually goes, uh, goes in himself. But they, they see the strips lying there. They see all the evidence of what was around Jesus, covering Jesus, how they had wrapped him in the spices and everything, but no, no body. Now, verse 7 is really interesting. And it's got kind of a, a historical little thing here that uh, would have been clear in this day, but it, it isn't for us today. Just an incredible imagery we have here. So it, what they would do is take a, a napkin-sized piece of cloth and put that over the face and then the body would be wrapped with all these linens and all that and just you know whatever strips of whatever and uh, but the the napkin on the face and so look what it says in verse 7 the cloth was folded up by itself separate from the linen so folded nicely set off to the side now that's that's significant 
Because in this culture, when you would get together for a meal, meals usually last a couple hours. So there's often an occasion that you're just going to have to run out and use the bathroom or you're going to run to the kitchen and get something to drink or whatever. And oftentimes in those meals, there are servants that come and, you know, I mean, like, don't you hate the restaurants where as soon as you put your fork down, they swoop in and give you a new fork? You know, just leave me alone. That's, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the waiter waitress is, is going to come by and check and do, do all that type of thing. So the, the, the code was, if you're done with the meal, you leave your napkin, just throw it over the plate, leave it on your chair, but that means I'm done with the meal. If you're not done, you fold it nicely and put it off to the side. That's a signal for anybody to know, don't touch my food, I'm coming back. Right? In other words, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not done yet. There's more to come, in other words. Plus the fact that I haven't had dessert. So, yes. So this napkin is folded off to the side. I'm coming back. See? Now, I mean, it, that's why John notes it. And that was you know, clearly understood in, in this culture, but yeah, we, we kind of miss that. So that, I, I think it's a really powerful uh, example of, of how well executed this plan is. I mean, it just everything has fallen into place exactly as Jesus says it would for weeks and months earlier, and uh, now, now we see it unfolding. But the funny part is the disciples, the women, they, they just, they're not putting two and two together here. You know, they heard Jesus say this repeatedly. They're, they're not seeing, yeah, he said that he was going to do that, and there it is. You know, so when they saw that napkin, they should have thought, oh, he's coming back. Just as he said he would, but they're they're just they're panic stricken, they're 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 grief stricken, they're they're just um, an emotional mess at this point. So they they don't seem to get in anything. Then verse eight, you know, John, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. But then look at verse nine. He saw and believed, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Now. This is significant. We need to understand this. What is John saying here? In one sense, he says they believed, but in another sense, he says he don't understand. What do they believe yet not understand? Go ahead, Deb. They believe that he rose from the dead, but they don't understand the purpose of it. Yeah, it's they're they're stuck in resurrection. Resurrection. We know there's no body. Obviously, yeah, that means something, but we don't. We don't know. We believe there's no body, but we're not sure about this resurrection thing yet. Because, you know, as he pops into the room, I mean, startles him, you know, time and time again. Uh, you know, it, it, Thomas refuses to believe. Uh, it, it just, it goes on and on. But the, again, you know, he talked about it repeatedly, but they still don't get it. And after seeing that evidence there, I mean, that, that folded cloth should have been the linchpin. They should have looked at that and said, there it is. He's coming back. And just, just wait for him. Go ahead, Gary. I look at it a little different. Go ahead. He's, he says, he's talking about himself. He saw and believed. And then it says, they still do not understand from Scripture. So is he talking about the others? Or, and he still, maybe he believes, but the rest of them don't. Well, the only other one there is Peter. Peter's not a they. So, yeah. When you, yeah. Well, but notice what, what what John does so often. He puts himself in the third person. Yeah. Okay. So 
you know, there's only two of them there, you need two to make a they, so John is lumping himself in there, that, you know, even though he loves Jesus and understands that, and we're going to see that in chapter 21 as well. Yeah, yeah, my, my little footnote that, yeah, so he doesn't want to just throw himself under the bus, he's going <laughs> to drag Peter down with him. <laughs> but, you know, it's, the, the lack of recognition is, is staggering for all of these weeks post-Easter. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. You know, they're on the, the chapter 21 on the shore, you know, they don't recognize them, you know, finally John recognizes them, you know, and, and but... In chapter 21 says, you know, as they all arrive on the shore and they look at Jesus, they're not sure who he is, but they know it's Jesus. It's just, there's just great confusion here. Just almost joyful confusion, but nonetheless, they, they're not real clear. I mean, the same thing happens on the road to Emmaus, which is not here, but, you know, in uh, Luke's gospel, uh, the road to Emmaus, they walk with Jesus for a couple hours and they don't recognize him. So he breaks the bread and then he disappears. <laughs> and then they go running back to the disciples. We saw him, we saw him. And it just there's something strange going on here. That they they're 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 just still still not getting it. And we're gonna follow this through, and it's clear that they really don't get it, get it until Pentecost. The resurrection is a, a difficult concept to get your head around. Obviously. It's one thing it's one thing to say, I believe he's he's alive. Uh, it's another thing. I understand how he is a may not occur. It would be very difficult. But again, it's it's the the difference between the, the, what I physically see and the theological implication of that. And that's what the crowds have, have always missed, and even the disciples are missing. Cindy, what were you going to say? Kind of follow up on that. It's the comment I think Peggy made a couple weeks ago that you know it's very hard for us to still grasp all of this, and we know how the story ends. Yeah. Where. It, for them, even though they had been with Jesus all these years, it just it's it's hard to grasp it all. But it's still even hard for us, I think, sometimes and maybe said we know how it ends. It's, it's overwhelming. It really is. And it's you know, our minds can only handle so much and so yeah, I mean you can you can understand. You know, I'm not not saying what the, the, their reaction is 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 wrong. If we'd have been there we'd have done the exact same thing. Yeah, you know, it just it's it's Really? I mean, even though he kept saying it was going to happen, death is death, even though we just saw Lazarus come back, you know, it just, death is death. I mean, that was maybe a one-off deal, but, you know, they, they just, their minds are just racing at this point. They, they're, they're trying and trying and trying to piece it all together. Then, you know, st starting in verse 10, uh, again, you know, evidence that disciples don't get it, they go home. <laughs> it's like, Amazes me. It's like I know something really remarkable has happened here. Eh, I'll go home. <laughs> so stick around. Find out. Mary sticks around, and she gets she gets to talk to Jesus. And so Mary's crying, and and she 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 looks into the tomb. Now she sees two angels. Now that's that's significant. If there'd only been one angel, one you know angelically looking being, she could have well mistaken that for Jesus. But there's two. So that helps her to understand very, very quickly. These are these are angels. This is not, not, not Jesus. And they're they're actually sitting where Jesus's body was, one at the head and one at the foot. And so, obviously, let's engage in a conversation now. You know, why are you crying? I mean, it conveys that 
this is not an appropriate time for tears. You know, that's, that's what they're saying. I mean, what are, you, what are you crying about? I mean, the greatest thing the world has ever known has happened. I mean, these are, you know, you're still expressing these, 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 these tears of grief and sadness because, and confusion because you don't know where the body is. But hang on a couple of seconds. It, it, it's coming because look what she says. You know, they, they, again, this mysterious they, somebody has taken his body. We don't know where it is. I just want a body. You know, I want to take care of this body. I want to place it, you know, completely in the tomb, and I want to be. I want to start working on my grief and and take it from there, type of thing. So she's still not thinking resurrection at all. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and see, doesn't recognize him. Now, well, let's have some fun with this. Now, since there is no no right or wrong answer at this point, go crazy. What would Jesus look like after resurrection? I mean, appearance, uh, you know, face, uh, uh, clothing. Uh, um, you know, angels are often dazzling white. Um, uh, what, what, what do you think that you know? What, what would Jesus look like that that Mary, that guy's on the road to Emmaus, that nobody recognizes him immediately? What would be so different about him that they would not recognize? Maybe he's glowing. Been going with an ethereal light. I, I, I can see that. Yeah, there's. Although it doesn't describe a blinding type effect, but something that you know, the glow kind of disguises a bit, perhaps. It's it's a little indistinct. Could be. What else? I think part of it too is if you're not expecting to see the person too. Yeah. You know, they're okay. taking an empty tomb. They're not expecting it to be Jesus talking to them. So if he's saying Mary, because as soon as he says it again, he says Mary, and then click the light bulb kind of clicks onto it. She goes, "Oh, it's Jesus." You know, I think that's the other thing is they're not expecting to speak with him either. Yeah. So it may, there might be some difference in the look, but also, for instance, if you're not expecting the person to be home, if you will, that 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 will add to some of the confusion too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. What what else do you see? Okay. Hey, Go crazy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I just knew you would. <laughs> they beat him up pretty bad. They, they, so he may, not, he may look a lot different than he, used, he did before. Uh, that's, the he has good. his scars here. So I was thinking, so then surely he's got he his hands, he's got scars his legs, his face, his back. I mean, he yeah, he's scarred up all over the place. So he may look different. Than he, he or maybe did. he's just an image like any angel. Like it's the same uniform angel or something. You know. They all seem to be the same, yes. But she thought he could be a gardener, so that makes him to me look kind of normal. Like he could be normal. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. See, I mean, this is tough, isn't it? I mean, just trying to put yourself in that scene, you know. That. So I mean, he would have had long sleeves on, so I mean, that would cover up all the wounds. Um, yes. Yes. You know, and if, if he if he if he was naked, she would be wondering why there's a naked gardener here at six o'clock in the morning. So I think she'd be running the other way at this point. Kind of like the uh, uh, in Mark's Mark's gospel, the, uh, uh, the cra crazy naked guy in the in the in the, in the cemetery that comes out and attacks people and they try and bind them up and he breaks the chains and you know, no, nobody can subdue this guy. It's like yeah, you know, that's not 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 like that. So they're. There's a difference, though. But again, yeah, see, yeah, what Brian's saying, it wasn't the physical appearance that Mary recognizes. 
It's the voice. It's the voice. Right? The word of God is what she picks up on. Almost makes you think scripture when he says they know my voice type thing, you know? Right. We just studied that, right? Yeah, you know, good shepherd and all that jazz, right? See? Yeah. They know my voice. Yeah. So and but isn't that powerful that it's not the physical recognition. It's the you know, because the way he said Mary. Now he could have changed his voice. But the way he said it, she had heard that many times. That, that love, that compassion, that, that understanding that was always in his voice. She picked up on that immediately. That's him. So it, it wasn't the physical appearance. It was the, the voice. But yeah, I can see it both, both ways. Did, were the wounds healed or did he still have the, the imprint of the, you know, did he have the, the, the thorn marks still, still in his scalp? Um, yeah, or was he still black and blue from being punched in the face so many times? I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think those kind of things would have been healed. And the scar was on his hand, Yes, but but no longer bleeding. Yeah, yeah, healed but scarred. Yes. So isn't that weird though? I mean, it, there's a whole spectrum here of how it could be, and you know, it just it's. Interesting to to put yourself right there. I mean, just at that moment of, of of recognition or realization. I mean, just one of the most powerful moments in all all of history. Because Jesus again asked the same thing. You know, kind of a this is no reason to be crying. You know, why why are you crying? Who who are you looking for? And there it is. You know, thinking that he's the gardener. I mean. Look how nice and polite she is. Rather than grabbing it by the throat and saying, "What you do with him?" Right? She, you know, sir. You know, probably talking in a British accent at this point. If if you if you carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. In other words, you know, obviously there's been a mistake here. You thought they weren't supposed to be there, and you took him somewhere else. So let me know where it is, and I'll come take him, and you know, I'll help you out by taking Jesus off your hands. And at that moment, then yes, Jesus says, "Mary." So apparently at that point, says she turned around. See, she wasn't even, she was, must have been looking around. She's talking to him behind her, but she's looking around for the body. And then, then she turns around and recognizes him. And then Jesus says something, uh, seems a little harsh. Like, get your grubby mitts off me. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, do, do not hold on to me, he says. Um, He's saying that, that he's trying to redirect her and really all the followers to the spirit rather than his physical body. And isn't, isn't that human nature, though? How many times have we said and heard said, I, I won't believe till I see, till I can physically see this? And so he's, yeah, don't, don't get so attached to his body. We're not going to be around too much longer. So this, this is just to, to help you with the transition for these next couple of weeks. But then, yes, the focus is always, always, always on the power of the Spirit coming, coming upon them. But yeah, at this moment, Mary is just like the crowds that we've seen that, that would not believe. They kept insisting on more miracles. That, yeah, show us, show us, show us. We want to see more. The crowd that, that uh, you know, comes out on uh, uh, Palm Sunday are the result of those who had heard about Lazarus. 
this guy can do that. But imagine what he's going to do now, right? So we got to be close to this because when he does another miracle, we want we want to see it. Um, the, the, remember the result of the feeding of the five thousand. They had that in their hand. They want they want bread. <laughs> you know, Jesus talks about about living bread. Well, just give me some stinking bread. That's all I want. They always want the physical rather than the spiritual. The woman at the well with the water, same thing. I don't want to have to keep coming to this stinking well. Tell me how I can get this water delivered to my home and I will be a happy, happy, happy person. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. So what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's downplaying the physical and really lifting up now the spiritual. So basically he's saying, you know, don't hold on to me during this time of transition. We're, we're working away from this. So don't get so attached to this. Now, a week later, Thomas does have the opportunity to touch the body. He's not holding on to it. That's what Jesus said. Don't hold on to me. As if to say, you're not going to let go of my body. Much the same as you had to let go of me to, so that I could die on the cross. Don't hold on to me now because I have to ascend into heaven. Right? There's always something more that, that I have to do. So Thomas gets to touch but not hold. So it's the holding on to part that Jesus is objecting to. Instead, he gives, gives her something to do. So rather than hold on to me, here's something positive and constructive you can do. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And she's crazy enough to do it. And she walks into the room with the other disciples, most of them there, and says, I have seen the Lord. Now again, especially guys. Imagine you're just sitting around. You know, did you notice Peter and John saw what they saw? They don't go back and tell their friends. What is the matter with these guys? Is this Peter's idiocy <laughs> contaminating John as well? That was a really bad decision. They went home. So the disciples still in the upper room have not heard anything more. So the first thing they hear is Mary. I have seen the Lord. What? <laughs> and you read the other gospel accounts, and I mean the disciples really give you know Mary and the women a hard time. You know. Yeah, it's it's a psychological thing with these guys. They're they're thinking, well, you're just overcome with grief. You're a woman, you know, all of that. You know, it just yeah, and they they don't get it at all. But that's all Mary says, and as if to say, either going to believe it or you're not. But that's all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to try and prove this to you by any any stretch of the imagination. Now. That, that harkens us back to 1622 when Jesus told them on Thursday night I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy do you think anybody, even, even the unbelieving disciples could take away Mary's joy do you think they as many as they were talked her out of believing that Jesus was risen from the dead no way right? You, you're not taking away that joy but they had to experience it for themselves, and then they too were in the in the, the the very same boat. Now, verse nineteen kind of shift shift gears here a little bit. So that was all in the morning. Now all of a sudden, boom! Here we are in the evening. The disciples were, were back together again. So apparently, John and Peter show up, but the doors locked out of fear of the Jews. 
Jesus came and stood among them. So they're still greatly afraid for their lives. They did this to Jesus. They're going to be looking for us. So John emphasizes that the doors were locked and really makes this appearance even more spectacular. I mean, how do you get in a locked room? But Jesus did. So they're somewhat startled by this. But look, look what Jesus says. Immediately calming effect. Peace be with you. After he said this, then he showed them. Pulled his sleeves up. See? He then pulled whatever outer garment he had the whole way up to show the, the wound in the side. Remember? It was just Friday. <laughs> right there's the spear mark from where they, they speared me. Right here are the marks from the crucifixion. Uh, one of the other uh, Gospels records that you know, Jesus says peace to them twice because they're so alarmed. So he calms it down a second time and then he says to them, what do you have to eat? I just love that. <laughs> it just, you know, I thought you're having a potluck or something here. What's the matter with you guys? <laughs> right? And But that, that was dispel what they believed in this day, and I probably still to this day, I'm not really big on ghosts, but they, they believed that ghosts don't eat. Right? They're an ethereal type being, so if they ate something, it would just fall right to the floor. Right? It, 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 they would not, not hold it. So that's why Jesus said, you know, well, what do you have to eat? Let me eat and show you I'm not a ghost. So making the distinction between a ghost and, and, and resurrection. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So after calming them down, he immediately returns to the mission. In other words, yeah, I know you guys got a lot you want to talk about. What, what was it like to be dead and all that? We're not going to deal with that. Here's what's important. I am sending you. There is something for you to do, right? He sent Mary. Can't stay here. And by Pentecost, there's still that room would get really smelly after a while. I mean, six weeks. These guys hold up in there, scared out of their minds, locked door. Um, would not be fun. So when that fresh wind of the spirit came through, that was probably really welcome. <laughs> and they open the doors and they go running out. They're no longer afraid, but it's going to take that long before they finally get it. Now, back in chapter 14 and chapter 16, Jesus promised them that they would receive peace. Peace be with you. So Jesus blesses them now with the peace that he promised. Still in the midst of all the confusion, all the just questions, all the everything they have going on. Their minds are going a thousand miles a minute, but calm you down. Peace. Peace be with you. And then verse 22, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about this so many times, but yeah, do, you, do you see how this is such a moving target? Yeah. If you think that yeah, they, they got the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, then, of course, then we have to take into account the Old Testament, and so as if the Holy Spirit never was. And here, six weeks early, Jesus is saying, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's, it's, it's always been, it's just... Telling these guys, you know, you've got to receive the Holy Spirit. Now you, you've you've kind of blocked it. You're confused and all that, but receive the Holy Spirit. You need you now. You don't have to wait till Pentecost. Do it now. Get on board with this now, and then come Pentecost, you're going to get overwhelmed in incredible power. 
So the, the, it's the degree to which the Spirit comes. So at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus is preparing them. I'm gonna, you're really going to get this now. Here he's saying, okay, receive the Holy Spirit, so probably a little more. You know, and the, the Holy Spirit's job is to, to help us believe, to help us to understand, to help us you know, put together the impossible thing and, and realize that God can do this. And so here on Easter, you guys need to get this. You need to fully understand this. Your human mind can't do this. So let go of the human mind. Much as he tells Mary, don't hold on to, don't hold on to your, your human mind understanding. Allow the Spirit to give you the wisdom that you need. And the Spirit will. But it's not for another six weeks till, till Pentecost. So pay particular attention to the fact that John does not even hint to the fact that something even greater is coming along. It sounds like right there is Pentecost, right? Receive the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? But again, it's, it's a building process. Greater degree, greater degree, greater degree, and then boom, the floodgates open up on, on Pentecost. So do you see what, what it says there, though? With that, he breathed on them and says. So, and interestingly, the... Pentecost event starts with wind, as if somebody blew into the room, right? See how it goes? So the, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is always linked with, with, with fire and, and, and wind, pneuma, uh, motion of air. Uh, that's just you know, the, the, the understanding of it. So they're locked in this upper room and, and God breathes into the room. This Holy Spirit just comes on them and they get a little fire dancing above their head and everything and they start dancing and whooping and hollering and everything. And now they, they, they are so empowered in the Spirit that the physical means nothing to them. See, that, that's the beauty of it. The physical means, means nothing to them. And now they're willing to go out into the streets with guards out there ready to arrest them and they couldn't care less. We've got a message to share, right? I'm sending you. Now they're willing to be sent without fear. It's just absolutely incredible. Do you see a connection here in Genesis where, you know, the Creator takes this clay yes. and then breathes life into it. Of course, this spirit breathes a different kind of... Because John early on... Is about eternal life. He's not just about right spiritual life. Right. He's talking about eternal life. So you see some connection there. That the, the breath kind of yep. The beginning of humanity, and now the beginning of real humanity, the new Adam, as as it were. You know, yeah. There's definite connection there. Love it. So verse 26. Now, by the time you get into the whole Thomas story, which there's a good trivia. We were in a Sunday school class uh, dinner the other night, and they, they had 15 trivia Bible trivia questions. Some of them were really hard, and I missed them. Uh, <laughs> this would be a, a really good Bible trivia question. What's, what's you know, Thomas's nickname, or real name, or whatever? Didymus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd have gotten that one. Yeah, I'd have gotten all of them. <laughs> if only I knew. Right? So he's identified as not being there when Jesus first appeared. And again, the other disciples, now all the rest of them, 9, 10, say, We've seen the Lord. Yeah, right. Exactly. He, he won't believe it. 
Now, I mean, stop and think. I mean, no matter how impossible it is to believe whatever it was, if nine or ten of your most trusted friends told you, we all saw the same thing and identified it and, 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 and described it in exactly the same way, you would believe them. Yeah, could you imagine being being that doubting? <laughs> that, you know, unless I literally put my finger in that nail hole in his wrist, I'm not gonna, and my hand up his side is like well, that's really creepy. That's yeah. I mean, you got organs in there and all kinds of fun things, and it, it's it's just amazing. But th this is a whole week now. So Thomas has been a doubter for an entire week. That's a long time to doubt. And again, it's not like just on Easter. The disciples told him once. Yeah, yeah, he was just here, you missed him. And drop it. Every day they would have continued to beat that in. And once you do that, like, Thomas, why won't you believe? We saw him. Ask him. <laughs> He'll tell you the same thing, right? Ask him. Ask any of them. They'll all tell you the same thing. But nope, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. So he did doubt. Uh, again, note that John describes the room being locked. Feel scared here? So here in verse 28 now, Thomas finally believes. Thomas, the biggest doubter, now becomes, watch this. No one yet has identified Jesus as to who he is. No one has said, my Lord, my Savior, any of those, my God, you are the Son of God, you're the Messiah. No one has said any of those descriptors. So even though they saw it, they still, there's still some confusion there. But look at what the doubter says. My Lord and my God. Even Mary, who saw him, who obviously was just overwhelmed with that. You think that would have uttered from her mouth just naturally. My Lord and my God. She called, him teacher. she called him teacher, which is pretty good, but not Lord, not God, right? So I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, this is the biggest transition you will see. This is like Paul, right? I'm killing Christians now. I will lead you, <laughs> right? I mean, just polar opposite. So with Thomas, it, it's not a, you know, you would think a doubter would have to go in stages. You know, I'll believe a little bit, I'll believe a little bit more, a little bit, you know, keep, keep going for weeks and months or whatever. But in one second, goes from the biggest doubter to at this moment, the greatest believer. That's incredible. <laughs> but, you know, he, he experienced it. And Jesus' response, though, is it's kind of a reprimand. As if to say, you know, why did it take you a whole week to hold out? And why are you, you know, forcing, extorting me to, you know, give you what you want so that you will believe? That's, that's not faith. Faith is believing without seeing. And you've been saying, I will not believe unless I see. So that's, that's not faith, buddy. So from now on, I need you to be a person of faith. So stop trying to prove the spiritual with the physical. He's not blessed either. Yes, you see? So that's that's a reprimandy kind of thing to say, to say, isn't it? Yep. So what he's saying is that you and I, who have not seen and we believe, 
ding, we're blessed. So I want you to look at it that way, right? So, I mean, it, it's, it would be great to have a time machine and be able to go back and see it and prove it and all of that type of thing, but we don't have that. So this is what faith is all about. And if we did that, then it really wouldn't be faith. If you see it, it's no longer faith. So, verse 30 and 31. Just kind of a transition point. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples were not recorded in this book. Now, we've already learned that. John is very selective in what he shared with us. He spends an entire chapter on a, two miracles. Two chapters and two miracles. So, he's not about proving Jesus is who he is. He's letting those very few stories speak volumes. And so here, I'm not going to keep going. There's much, much more I could continue to write. I mean, you wouldn't believe what Jesus did over this six weeks period. I mean, it'd blow your mind, right? <laughs> but you don't need to know that. In other words, I've given you enough for any reasonable person to believe that Jesus died and rose again. So I'm not going to put it in here. But verse 31, see, there's, there's the but. So I'm not going to do that, but just so you know, what I've given you is enough. This is enough for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's kind of the, the second part to John 3.16. Right? Remember Nicodemus? Now, he identifies why he came, and John is saying now, believing in Jesus is what will get you what Jesus promised back in John 3.16. We have enough. So there's no reason for any of us to think that, well, I can't talk to anybody because I don't have enough proof, enough evidence, enough scientific, physical proof to verify that any or all of these things happened. Because that's, again, no longer faith. It's simply knowing who God is and that God could do this if God wanted to, and he did. And a lot of eyewitnesses saw it, and they wrote it down for us. That's, that's the beauty of John. I mean, he's right there. The Last Supper, he's the one closest to Jesus. You know, he's there at the cross. He's the first one there at the tomb. He's there, he's there, he's there, he's there, he's there. So he's not getting this secondhand. He's there. Thomas needs to see to believe. But we all know that the reverse is also true. Once we believe something, we begin to see it. So if you believe this person is possessed by some evil demon, then you burn that witch at the stake. And this becomes part of our human history. You know, if you're a heretic, then, you know, people will recognize that. You know, so they have the Inquisition. And suddenly everybody's got, uh, you know, this mark or whatever it is. And we begin to see things the other way around. Why one comes to believe has been debated for millennia. Well, the good news is BUMC is not going to do that anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, what other thoughts do you have on chapter 20? I mean, this Easter is just incredible. What do you got, Faye? Well, if you think about it, Jesus 
almost had to change his appearance or people would have never thought he resurrected. Or he never died. Uh, well, look, he's still here. Yeah. But he almost had to change his appearance for people to... And he had to keep those wounds to verify, especially the spear, because that was, I mean, there's no way you could survive that, especially after everything else he'd been through. But, you know, that in and of itself would have killed you, whether you were, you know, the healthiest person that would have killed him. So, yeah, it just, what, what incredible stuff. Oh, my gosh. So what else are you thinking about chapter 20? Pearls of wisdom do you have gleaned from these pages? Made a mistake at the beginning. You said we were one chapter behind. We were right on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> chapter twenty was supposed to be tonight, and it was tonight. And we're going to get a little bit into twenty-one because well, we have to do one point two chapters a night, right? <laughs> well, I want to save a little bit of time next week to okay. look at the whole thing and see. Okay. You know. Probably ask, ask the question, which you begin to prepare for now. You know, what, what, what was the most powerful thing in this entire book for you? I mean, what was what just absolutely blew you out of the water type of thing? Yeah. So any other thoughts in chapter twenty? Well, let's jump into chapter twenty-one for a couple minutes here. So, you know, John John's great with transitions. Next word is afterward. <laughs> Right? It's, 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 so he identifies this isn't the same story. This is now we're shifting gears. Because again, he's already identified there's a lot more I could tell you if I had the, the actual transcript and just followed minute by minute, would be so much. I mean, that's how, how it ends. You know, the whole world couldn't contain all the books that would be written. So uh, we're not going to do that. So I'm going to be very, very selective. But so that happened. So he identifies Easter Sunday morning, this happened. Easter night, this happened. A week later, this happened. Now, afterward, which is an undetermined period of time, we know there's only five weeks left from other Gospels, so sometime in this five-week period, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So John identifies three times that Jesus appears to the disciples. But you, you put the other Gospels together, and there are quite a few more. So, this whole last chapter is simply about this incredible account of, of Jesus with Peter and this, this miraculous catch of fish. But this is the end of the book. Hearken back with me to the beginning of the book. Because as, as Jesus is calling the first disciples, you, you see, see this in, in Matthew especially, you know, how he calls Peter and John and, 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 and Simon and Andrew and, you know, do you remember what the invitation was? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hmm. So a fish image. I, I will. Yeah, we understand fish means people, <laughs> right? So I will teach you how to catch people, to entice people with this incredible message of salvation. So. When Jesus says that he's going to make us fishers of men, what's, what's he really saying? What does he mean by that? What's, what's our part in this? Reach out to the lost, the evangelist. Okay, so he's counting on us to reach out to the lost. 
to be the evangelist, you see. I'll teach you how to do this. Because as we follow this through then, we understand that now he's leaving, right? And again, the purpose of the church is that we are the physical body of Jesus here on earth. That when others see the church, they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing a bunch of fisher people, right? So it starts with the image of, I'll teach you how to fish for men. And now here at the end, we see them going back to fishing. And Jesus brings it right back around again. Now, Peter, I got something for you to do. I told you I was going to teach you how to fish for men. Now I'm going to send you out and, and do it. Now, the whole miraculous catch thing, 153 fish doesn't mean much to us, but it says they're a large fish. So these are 153, you know, tuna-sized <laughs> little fishies, that's a lot for a net. And did you notice so many they could not pull, the weight was so great they could not pull it into the boat. That's what you want to do. Instead they had to hold it alongside the boat and row ashore and just drag the fish in, in the net underwater. There was, there was that many. So again, the image. I will teach you how to fish for men and here they caught so many they could hardly handle them. Which kind of sounds like Pentecost. Because that's, that's what happened after Pentecost. They kind of bogged down after Pentecost. You got 3,000 people, you know, along with the 120 we already had. And now the needs of all these people and all just the mechanics and, and normal everyday life is overwhelming us. And we don't know what to do, don't know what to do. And they forgot the mission. They forgot the sending out part. We'll just stay and take care of these 3,000 people till they die. And that's probably good enough. No, it's not. Right? You've got to keep replicating. You've got to keep, keep sending them out. So afterwards, Jesus appears by the Sea of Tiberias. And you're thinking, where in the world is the Sea of Tiberias? It's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is the, the Roman name. For some reason, John, John uses that, but it's the Sea of Galilee. So back to home base. Back to where Jesus started. That's where he called the first disciples. It was along the Sea of Galilee, right? So they're back to where we started. See, see how it comes full circle? It's just really, really interesting. So John is describing the disciples' present. And when I meet John in heaven, I'm going to wring his neck for leaving blanks unnecessarily. I mean, he identifies Simon, Peter, just to make sure we don't miss that, that we know he's, this is the right Simon. And Thomas, duh, called Didymus. We already know that. Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee. Make sure we understand who he is. The sons of Zebedee. Okay, we can figure that out. James and Sean. And two other disciples, and I'm not going to give you their names. What? Just give us the names. It would have been so much easier to do that than just, why doesn't he give us the other two names? Drives me nuts. I really want to know who's there. Inquiring minds want to know. But John keeps playing with me. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, why? It would have been so easy just to, you're making commas, just add two more names. Why, why is this so difficult? I don't get it. <laughs> There's a good reason for it. I just don't know what it is. So Peter now becomes the, the focus because, of course, he's the one who denied Jesus three times. So he goes back home. Um, now, Jesus told, I can't remember what gospel it is, um, but told Mary to go tell the disciples, go back to Galilee and... I'll meet you there. 
So he meets him there. But for some reason, Peter decides to resume his old life. That rather than wait for Jesus to appear and give me my instructions, tell me what to do, instead, I will resume my old life. I'm going out to fish. That's usually what, what guys say when I got nothing else better to do, right? <laughs> and the rest of them say, duh, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night, see again, see, John's really good with so many details, and add uh, two other guys. <laughs> right? So they go at night, because the, the couple hours before daybreak is the best fishing. Three, four, five o'clock in the morning is the best fishing. So they're out there in the dark at night fishing. Now, early in the morning, when the fishing's off, you don't expect to catch anything after daybreak, Jesus is on shore. But again, the disciples don't recognize him. Now, they're 100 yards away, like of a football field. Eh, we'll give you that. That's far enough that, I mean, you're standing down there... Um, just somebody standing, you might not recognize them. Although we do seem to stand a unique way. We walk a certain way. I mean, you can pick up on those you know, body idiosyncrasies and, that identify us. But for some reason, there's a lack of recognition there. And so and Jesus co calls out to them, you know, friends, haven't you any fish? So apparently Jesus from there can see clearly there is no fish. So there is some... They're close enough that you know, visually we can, we can check this out. And of course, the answer, no. So Jesus is asking them a question to confirm their frustration. Notice the one-word answer. Not no, an excuse, or you know, no, whatever. It's just, no. <laughs> it's just, you can obviously see we don't have any. Why are you rubbing it in our face? Right? So, but... This random stranger that they believe, at least at this point, is asking him a rather strange question. And then in verse 6, Jesus does the impossible. At a point that we're never going to catch any more fish, we're ready to row ashore, Jesus tells them to throw the net on the right side. And interestingly, they do it. Now they're mad, they're frustrated. If I'd have been on a boat, I would have said, why? <laughs> you know, I would ask a question. This is a pretty stupid request. There's no way we're going to catch anything. The net's heavy. I don't feel like doing this. We've done it enough. I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. But they do it. They do it exactly as Jesus says. And upon realizing then that this is truly a, a miraculous catch of fish, it finally dawns on John that this is Jesus. When they start pulling the net up and realize we can't, and there's been, you know, more than likely there was two boats, and however many guys are just six, seven guys, they were split between two boats, so, but at least three guys in a boat, there's so much weight there that they cannot pull this up. That's a lot of fish. And then it hits John like a ton of bricks. And now he says, much like we heard Thomas, it is the Lord. But for some reason, John doesn't jump in the water. Peter, impetuous guy, immediately jumps in the water and swims 100 yards to shore. Why don't I just wait till the boat brings you in? But Peter is apparently so overcome with joy that he can't wait 
and he leaves the others to deal with the fish. This is a lot about, because even whenever he goes out on the water, the first time he walks in the water, yeah. that says a lot to his, his faith or his, his devotion to yep. Jesus, I think. Yeah, Peter's both. Yeah. I mean, he's both extremes, and how much like, like us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can really, really relate to him. I have a question here. Um, it's saying about the 153 fish, but it points out the fact that so many of the net was not torn. Yes. And I have the study Bible here. It's saying, see reference in Luke 5, 6, where it's pointing out that the, that the net was torn. What is the, what, you know, just trying to bounce that off. Why, why do we think that's relevant? Why would John put that, that the net wasn't torn versus, in Luke 5, 6, he says, there was so many the net was torn. 5, five 6, that's it. Yeah, Luke five six, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but the yeah, that was a, a, a big so catch of fish as well. Yes. I'm just curious as to why that was such a a, note, a detail, I guess, in my brain. You know. Well, I guess because after resurrection, it's much better. <laughs> um, yeah. Nets don't break after resurrection. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's different. But yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm just curious as to what that difference. That would be an interesting sermon that, yeah. as you're preaching over the summer, I do expect you to 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 process with the congregation. <laughs> He's, he's going to be preaching a couple times over the summer, so. That's his uh, last question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill, his sermon's going to be, I wonder about this. You guys break into small groups and discuss. I give you 20 minutes. Come on back and let me know what you conclude. <laughs> but, yeah, that's. I'm just curious. I'm just, yeah. you know, the fact that of all the details that, you know, again, you say about, like, John, he doesn't know two other individuals, but he'll know about the quality of the net, you know. Yeah. I got it. All right. I see. We got to think theological, spiritually now, okay. right? It's not not physical. So a broken net will let fish out. Yes. Jesus has already identified those that that are mine. I will not lose. Ah. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> no, I want to do that one. <laughs> you, you 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 preach it the, the week before I get back, and then I'll preach it when, when I come back. And everything Brian said was wrong. So this is this, this, this is the real answer. <laughs> that is hilarious. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's and, and the the number is funny because yeah, you know, why be so specific with 153 and so over Great scholars have. Scholarized about this. That's now a verb uh, for centuries, and trying to you know, find that hidden meaning as to what the 153 means, and it, it just it, it has baffled humanity for for 2,000 years. And uh, there's you know, been a number of, of hypotheses offered, and could be, but the next guy's hypothesis is just as good as the first guy. And he, even one guy said that uh, uh, there was a um, in this time there was 153 species of fish. Which would be great. So, in other words, one from every every culture, every you know, I mean, it represent everybody's in the net. Everybody is included. The, the net covers the entire world. Uh, wouldn't that be great? But there's only 75 species of fish. So, <laughs> rats. <laughs> that doesn't 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 quite work there. So, yeah, have have, have fun with that. So, but there you go. Answer solved. That's right. So the the broken net was was a human device, but this is, you know, the perfect plan of God, and none, none, none of those that, that, that we have caught will get away. Yeah. Kind of like bookends almost, bookends yeah. to each other. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah, but yeah. I've, I've never, never noticed that connection before. You're just, a genius. Well, there isn't just a study Bible that pointed that out to me. Yep, that's neat. That's real neat. And a good place for us to stop for the evening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.